Welcome back into the great Scott show. The great sports callers open think tank. I'm Scott Prather playing Nas with the Beastie Boys coming out because that is the favorite artist of our next guest. One of my favorite guests, that would be Nick Underhill of New Orleans.Football covering the Saints at a different level. Nick, good morning, man. How's life? How are you? Everything's going good, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Saints, uh, three and two at the bye. A few general questions before we kind of dig beneath the surface. And just to start off, what has been the biggest surprise to you about this team through the first five games? Oh, man. I guess, I guess the fact that they're three and two right now, if you gave me the list of players that they're missing in – told me to project where they'd be before the season. I, I wouldn't think that they'd have three wins. And honestly, they should be a four-win team if not for, you know, the way the Giants game ended. I mean, I, I think some of the the calls at the end of that game could have went a different way. And, you know, frankly, if you played that game 100 times and they approached it the same way, it's at least a 50-50 split that things turn out in their favor. So, I mean, for them to be sitting where they're at at this at this point in the season with the injuries they've had, it's it's pretty impressive. And, you know, I don't think a lot of teams could even survive the, the post-Hall of Fame quarterback situation as well as, well as they have without the Aaron Rodgers-type succession. So the fact that there's optimism that, that it looks like they're probably going to be a playoff team being down, you know, you go down the list, it's, it's eight, nine, ten starters, guys, that would at least contribute quite a bit. It's, it's a little bit shocking, honestly, to, to look at where they're at right now. Nick, the uh, a few more general ones for you. I I feel like I was asked this question last week. Uh, you know who who's been the best player for the team through the first five games, and I I said to Mario Davis, and you had a great um, kind of in depth piece on him that you released uh, last week. And folks that haven't read it, go check it out at NewOrleans.Football. But two part question i guess one who do you think has been the best player for the team overall through five games and then two if it's not davis if you could just highlight a little bit about what you learned in that that uh that deep dive story you did on him so i think the mario's in the mix for, for me i mean just to, to propose a couple different names i think you could put Marshawn Lattimore right in that mix i think he's played as well as, as you could imagine. There was a little bit of a hiccup in the Giants game. I, you know, I think that was for the whole team, though. They, they were just a little bit down in that one. So setting that one aside, I, I think he's been pretty outstanding start to finish. And I think he's been the player that they were hoping he would be when you gave him that contract. And, you know, just being, being fair to who he is and the concerns maybe surrounding him, that's a player that, that hasn't been consistently consistent throughout his career. And you see those ups and downs in the peaks and valleys. And when he's playing someone who isn't good, he's not quite as interested. When he's playing someone good, he's more interested. So I think that it, it was probably fair for anyone observing this team to wonder how he would react to getting the contract that makes him one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the league. And I think he's handled it well. He got his money. He's, he's playing well. He's, he's locked in against guys like Jacoby Myers from – New England, and those are the games that you would kind of see him mail in a little bit in previous seasons. So I got him up there, and then the other guy I will put in the mix is Marcus Williams. I I think that he's been as good as could be imagined. He's in a contract year. He's ascended every year uh, he's been in the league. His range is something that continues to stand out. But you also see him making plays coming down 
downhill a little bit more. He's tackling really well. Uh, two years in a row now, his tackling has been really good. So I think that that those two guys I would put right up there in that mix. Um, as far as Demario Davis, I mean, you look at him, and it, it, it's hard to it's hard to process that he's 32 years old. Players that are 32 years old typically are slowing down. You yep. see the mileage racking up on him, and you know, with, with him. He's still moving fast, and I, I think he's reached that point where your your mental ability and your physical ability kind of hit the same plane, and it allows you to, to reach that, you know, kind of ultimate peak of your career. And the way he processes the field, the way he, he reacts to things, his intelligence, it, it's off the charts. And paired with the athleticism, he's just always in the right place at the right time. And, and you know, sometimes – ahead of time, which is even better than the right time. So he's making a lot of plays. He sees the field really well. And that's just a result of, of him being in the league and, and knowing what he needs to do to prepare. And, you know, he, he talked about how he learned how to do film study from Ed Reed, the Hall of Fame, Ravens, safety, who, you know, is just renowned for his ability to, to study opposing teams. And there's a great clip on one of the many football-like things or, or something where Bill Belichick talks about how he saw a tendency with Ed Reed, and if he was lined up a certain way, he would attack the field, and, and the Patriots had a play to exploit it. And Reed saw the same thing and faked it, and then broke the tendency and made a play on him. So this is the guy that, that Demario Davis learned how to watch film from. And just over time, he, he's been able to build on that and find ways to perfect it and find ways to, to really cut down the excess and focus on the things that – will help him, that will allow him to to put himself in those positions and anticipate better. And I just think it's all come together, and he's really at a place where, you know, I think he's he's getting better every year, which is crazy. At some point, that's going gonna to end because physically time catches up with you, but he's gotten better every single year he's with the Saints, and at 32, I think he's playing as well as he ever has. Nick Underhill, our guest, also at age 32 is Cam Jordan, and the guy who is a member of the 2010s NFL All-Decade team. He's taken a little heat online from some fans. Um, I know he's been double-teamed a lot. He is older. He's still a good player, but, you know, you do the deep dives. You're looking at the film, Nick. How would you assess Cam Jordan's play through the first five games of this season? I think he's still impacting plays. He's still around the quarterback. He's still getting pressure. There's plays where he's in that halo where he's hurrying up the quarterback and forcing incompletions. So there's still a lot of positive plays. I think he's still really good against the run. It just He just hasn't been there quite as quick as he has in the past. And, um, you know, the, the double teams that, that you mentioned, with having nobody on the inside, the interior, that there just isn't that same presence in there. All their guys on the edges are getting double teamed a little bit more. They do a lot of plays with the three-man front, which really you, you kind of want your guys up front to eat up those blockers, and it creates rushing lanes for your linebackers and your safeties. And, you know, just those plays when you're watching them, and it just looks like there's seven guys basically on the line of scrimmage, and there's people dropping, there's people going. You know, on a lot of those, it, it's a three-man rush, and you're bluffing your look, and, you know, it's just a different way to to attack. So the approach that they've used the last couple of years with that has been different than in the past. So there are a few lesser opportunities. But the fact is, when Cam was getting 15 and a half sacks, he was still getting double teamed quite a bit. The percentage is a little bit higher. I think two weeks ago I looked at it and it was like 
5% more plays than he did the last time he had 15 sacks um, this year. So it is a little bit more attention. But there was a time when he was beating those he was getting to the quarterback. And that hasn't quite happened at the same rate this year. So, um, you know, I, I just think it, it, you just look at what's happening. It doesn't even really take a deep dive. It's just the, the hits aren't there at the same rate. The sacks aren't there at the same rate. The pressures are. He's, he's knocking on the door. He's just not opening it as much as he used to. I think that'll change a little bit when Onyemata comes back, when Marcus Davenport comes back. You'll at least have people, you know, flushing guys out and creating more opportunities for cleanup sacks, which really haven't been there for him. But I think for the last, what is it now, a year and a half almost, it's just been a little bit different for him. And, you know, there's a reason that in 2018, he used two first-round picks to trade up to get Marcus Davenport. There's a reason they drafted another edge rusher in the first round this year. They're preparing for the future. I think that your main guy has, has you know, taken a, a little bit of a step back from elite to good, and that's just kind of where he's at right now. Nick Underhill, our guest from New Orleans.football, at Nick underscore Underhill on social media, on Twitter. You can find his stuff there, link to the podcast, the website, all of that good stuff. Um, you know, <clears throat> we're talking about the defensive side of the ball I've asked you questions about most positive takeaway, you know, best player through the first five weeks. What's been the biggest disappointment through the first five weeks? And, um, you know, if it's on the offensive side of the ball, it'll kind of lead us to that conversation. But I've heard various takes on, on you know, what hasn't been up to par yet. I kind of like your early take. The fact that they're three and two with all the injuries is 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 pretty impressive. But you know, every season, every team's going to have some disappointments. What's been the biggest one thus far in your mind through the first five games? I think it's absolutely the the receiving core. And now Michael Thomas is probably going to miss a couple more weeks before he's ready to play. So that's um, an even bigger issue. Look, you, I think the, the easiest way to, to illustrate this is that you look at Jameis Winston's throw chart and there is like a, a triangle of whiteness right in the middle of the field. There is nobody that that's, that's really winning in that area of the field. And that's, that's not because of Jameis Winston. He loves to throw the ball over the middle. That, that's where he's attacked the field throughout his career. You just don't have guys getting open in that area of the field. And, and you look at the receiver core, these aren't guys that know how to get open quick. I mean, none of them, Deontay Harris can, you aren't sending him over the middle on a slant where he's catching, you know, a pass and a linebacker's crashing down and he's getting blown up. That's a guy that has to attack on the outside. Nobody else can, can really do that. Marcus, uh, Marquez Callaway isn't that type of player. Kenny Stills got targeted on a slant last week, dropped it. Juwan Johnson got targeted on a slant last week, dropped it, or last game rather, dropped it. He's completed four slants through five games, which I don't even know how that, that's, that's possible. I mean, you, you just kind of back your way into those types of plays, but they just don't have the players that are getting open quick in that area of the field. And I think also Winston has done a good job of not forcing stuff over the middle because when you make a mistake over the middle, that's an interception. Like the ball's bouncing off somebody, somebody's picking it off. Yeah. Your, your guy isn't going strong on – you know, is crossing route and, and isn't able to body somebody out and the route gets jumped and it's a pick six. I mean, so he's staying away from that area of the field because they don't have those types of players. So I think that, that's that been the biggest issue for the team. And, you know, frankly, I, I would be trying to find a way to add somebody else. Even with Traquan Smith back, Mike Thomas back, I, I think you're still there's still room for another guy to get in there to contribute. Problem is, is they're so tight to the cap and there's really nothing left that they can do to create space. So, 
it would be hard to, to trade for, you know, a significantly impactful player. There's ways to do it. You entice the other team to pay the salary by giving up draft picks. They just did that with Bradley Roby. So there are ways to get it done, but I think it's going to be hard. And, you know, if they knew the situation with Mike Thomas was happening during the offseason, which, which they did, they knew he hadn't gotten the surgery, they knew the communication was poor. And in hindsight, it feels like they should have done something a little more to address that position, just to have a, a layer of protection. Because, look, I mean, he's throwing the, to two undrafted players, two cast-offs, and a converted running back. And it's just a, it's a tough way to win. And I don't know how much longer that can go on. And hopefully Mike Thomas comes back. He's the same guy he should be. It's just going to take a little more time. But you're backing a lot on Traquan Smith, who hasn't given you a lot of healthy games over the last three, four years. So there's a lot riding on that guy. And then defensively, too, there's a lot riding on Marcus Davenport, who has the same issues. So a lot of this season feels like it's riding on two injury-prone players finding a way to stay healthy uh, the rest of the way. But for sure, the, the receiver core has been by far the biggest disappointment of this team. ESPN fourteen twenty, Great stuff from Nick Underhill, our guest. Um, you know, to your point, Nick, on top of that, the tight ends, Adam Troutman's been – I feel like still assimilating to the pro game, you know, kind of hot and cold. You see some ups and downs there. The tight end core isn't what it's been in the past. And I think for as much attention as Jameis Winston gets for obvious reasons and various reasons, the fact of the matter is he's not just replacing, you know, Breeze. He's he's stepping into a lineup that just doesn't have, you know, all the bullets in the chamber and they're missing a lot of them. And, You've heard a lot of, or rather, I'm sure you have. I have as well. We've heard a lot of, man, just get to the bye week, and then you can get this guy back and that guy back, and you start getting healthy, and you can just get to the bye week. Well, the bye week's here. Uh, and Well, the bye week was here. The bye week, bye week came and gone. Now it's game week. They're playing Monday night in Seattle, and you know we'll know a little bit more tomorrow on Thursday when we get an injury report in terms of who is able to practice, who is limited, who you know, who was a full participant, but are you like me, Nick? Do you feel like maybe, I I understand why early on there was a big circle on the just get to the buy, but I almost feel like there's this, there's, there's a a portion of the fan base that's just anticipating a lot of people all coming back and we really don't know yet. And then when they finally do get back, it's going to take time to get their legs under them. I, I don't think that suddenly this magic wand is, 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 has been waved here over the last week, and now they're going to be much more healthy. The timeline for all of these guys is a little different, is it not? Yeah, look, I, I was probably guilty of that kind of survive till the bye week and, and start figuring things out at that point. Uh, narrative is, as much as anyone. And, and, you know, looking at it now, it was a little bit foolish to think that, hey, Mike's been sidelined since January, and this date comes up and, and he's good to go. Um, you know, you just have to get – you have to practice. You got to get your legs under you to get the timing done. So, yeah, there is going to be an assimilation period. Um, but yeah, it's going to take time. I mean, everybody, like you said, is on different timelines, and I think it's going to kind of be a slow trickle of getting guys back. I don't think that there's a lot of really long-term injuries. So, over the next month, hopefully by Thanksgiving, you you got everybody pretty much where they should be. Mostly everybody back, and you start to. <laughs> It's crazy. You, you start to figure out the, the team and, and who they are at, at that point and see what they're going to look like. And 
you know, how much impact everybody's going to have. I think Eric McCoy is someone that, that might have a little bit of a longer timeline, so it's going to take the offensive line a little time to, to get back to where it's supposed to be. And the, the wide receivers, you know, Mike's going to take a few weeks, and then, you know, how long does it take him to feel good about his body after being sidelined for that long? Yeah, I, I don't think his situation is anything with the setback. I think it's just it's more about him needing to feel right and be confident in his ankle, and that's going to take a little bit of time. I mean, it's been nine, ten months at this point. So it, it, it's going to be a little bit slower for this team coming together, and they're still going to have to keep trying to figure out how to win games, how to survive. But I do think that there's a huge one coming after the Seattle game. David Onyemata comes back. And I think that cures a lot of the issues you have on defense, at least on the, you know, the interior defensive line, which has been basically a, a blank spot for them. They, they've really gotten no production from there. And he's one of the better guys in the league at that position. So I, I think that's going to make a significant impact. I think Traquan Smith is, is very close to being back. Uh, he, he said two weeks ago he needed two weeks. So if, if that holds true, I think he makes a significant impact, too, just over what they have. I mean, it, it, it's it's really slim at wide receivers. So getting him back, I think, helps a lot. And then all the time you put him with Jameis Winston this offseason, that, that's got to at least help on some level. And it should allow him to get back, pick things up quickly, start producing, and, and settle in maybe faster than some of the other – like a Mike Thomas, who, who's really never worked with Jameis. So that'll be a big help. And then – Will Lutz came off IR on Monday. That signifies that he's at least within the realm of coming back within the next two weeks. Maybe it takes an extra week. Um, they did trade for, or I'm sorry, signed Brian Johnson off uh, another team's practice squad as a layer of insurance. So it might be another week before he comes back. And, and honestly, as weird as this sounds, you got on the list of players, Trent Armstead, Mike Thomas, Traquan Smith, Eric McCoy. Uh, it keeps going. I would put... Will Lutz is the second most important player coming back behind Mike Thomas, just based off of how all these games have went and the lack of confidence they have in kicker and the games they've lost because of kicker. So having him on the field, having somebody that you trust, someone that, that's going to hit 85 89% of their field goals, and you can bank on that, that's a huge luxury for this team right now. And it, it could be the difference in some more games um, going down the stretch. So, it is going to get better. It's just going to take probably three, four weeks instead of, like you said, magic wand, everything back to normal by week. No, I mean, that's, that's just not how it's going to work out. But um, they are a, a winning team right now with 10 starters on the sidelines. I mean, it's just a matter of, of getting everybody healthy, get them, get them on the field, get them playing. And at some point, the Saints are going to look like the Saints. But it's, it's weird because it's kind of been like two years where, you know, all last season it was – wait for this guy to get healthy, wait for Drew Brees to get healthy. They'll be who they'll be going into the playoffs. And then that never really happened this year. I think it actually will. Um, it's just going to take a little bit of time for it to happen. And there's still plenty of football left. You know, they got a dozen games left on the schedule starting with this Monday night uh, at Seattle. Uh, and to your point about Will Lutz, I mean, I, you know, <clears throat> Sean Payton did not have one of the better games of his career in the loss to the giants. And, uh, you know, if if they have a more reliable kicker, he's probably not going for it uh, when, you know, instead of attempting a 47-yarder earlier, though the 57-yard attempt was kind of head-scratching. But just overall, I think just knowing Lutz is there, and I look, I'll, I'll admit it, Nick, there were times where Lutz 
late in the season was not automatic and it was, ooh, could he be on the hot seat? And now I'm just laughing at how absurd that sounded whenever I said it out loud because you, it's not just the Saints. I mean, the kicking around the league has been historically terrible this year. It's been the worst ever, uh, just in terms of misses. And I get that PATs are longer than they used to be, but we're a few years into that now. If you've got a reliable one, man, it is, um, it is worth the investment. It is worth a lot, and it just gives you that confidence, I think, as a play caller as well, depending on where you're at on the field, to just open up the playbook a little bit more and not have to be so nervous every time you line up for a point after try. So that's big, and uh, you reference on Yamada, I, I, you know, one more game, the fact that he'll be coming back against Tampa Bay not from an injury. D-tackle, I mean, they're not – teams aren't doubling those guys. They're not really – they're not really having to, you know, offenses aren't having to invest much of their game plan into the Saints, the middle of the Saints defensive line. And I think when Onyemata comes back, I think that changes. To your point, he'll be a big addition once he's back on the field. And his legs might be a little rusty, but not like he's coming back from an injury. I think that guy will be just fine whenever he suits up on October 31st. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Like you said, no injury. He comes back. He should be good to go. Um, the thing on Lutz last year, if you, if you look at some of the misses and you look at the, the strings on the football, and rather, I mean, he, I think he hit the laces on, on two or three of his misses last year. And I'm not blaming anyone, and I don't know for a fact if this is what happened, but the person doing the holding got LASIK surgery because he couldn't see up close. So, I mean, those two things might be related a little bit. Um, so something with that operation last year, I think, was just a little bit off. I, but look, I mean, he, he, he's he's one of the more consistent kickers in the league. At some point, kickers miss some kicks. The difference is with him is that I think you can have the confidence that he's going to shake back, in, and it doesn't undermine how you feel about him in certain situations because there is enough of a track record, and you know who he is. So if there's a rough patch at any point, you just stick with him, and he, and he comes back. And I think Lux is that type of player. Now with, like, a, a Rosas, he misses, and, and you're basically done at that point because yeah. there just isn't that level of confidence in him. So it's a, it's a massive luxury. And like you said, league-wide kicking has been horrible. So if you have a kicker who you can trust, it's, a, it's just weird, man, the way these games have gone. It, it really just feels like a rare luxury to have a kicker that, that – you do trust him for Sean Payton, especially a guy who doesn't trust kickers inherently throughout his career. Having Lutz is just going to change the way, like you said, the way he calls games, the way he, he approaches certain situations. And with him, I, I think you look at that Giants game and, and it's easy example. A million things happen to, to make them lose that game, but they hit those field goals and, you know, I just, I think it changes things a little bit. So uh, especially the way they're playing, like if they got to keep grinding out games, and you're protecting points, you need to get the points that you're protecting because you don't have the faith in the offense to go all the way every single drive. So if you're, you're trying to control the ball, you're trying to run it, you're trying to protect points, you got to make those field goals when, when they're there, and I think Lutz will do that. ESPN 1420, Saints analyst, reporter Nick Underhill, our guest. NewOrleans.football is what you need to go to. Subscribe. I do. I have, and I get great content there that I, I don't get anywhere else, and that's why I follow Nick, and he brings it, does some deep dives, does a lot. Uh, read your story this past week about Michael Thomas and Traquan Smith changing the way Jameis Winston operates and what they could potentially bring to the table. Uh, just good way to educate 
anybody that, you know, loves the Saints, wants to learn more about the team, Nick brings it. Speaking of Jameis Winston, Nick, I mean, he is, I, I guess polarizing might be too strong of a word, but I, I, I think he is in some ways, you know, uh, at least judging from social media, which isn't always the best barometer, but he's just a guy that, that gener- he elicits reaction, right? You say Jameis Winston, you're going to get a lot of different opinions. You're watching the film. You've dug deep into the first five games. How would you rate Jameis Winston in his first five games as the Saints starting quarterback? I would say up and down. I, I think that there's definitely spots where he could be more consistent, and you go through it and you look, and, and there's some plays that he's left on the field where there's throws where he could be a little bit more aggressive. And I think it, it, at times he's in his head a little bit and, and is afraid to make mistakes and it's understandable given who he is where he's coming from the fact that he's trying to to reprogram the way he sees the field and the way he attacks it so i i think there's still work to do as far as getting to where he's confident in what he's doing and not putting the ball at risk but i think overall there's been more good than bad i don't think that he's had a, a lot of horrible decisions the three interceptions, I mean, one, one, the guard standing on his foot. And I think you got to feel the, the pressure there and not end up in a situation where you're throwing the ball with, with pressure that close to you. But you look at any other quarterback and they make that mistake and, and you're, just, you're just moving right past it. Oh, guard was on his leg, no big deal. And, and you don't spend much time thinking about that play. So to go to your point about him being polarizing, whenever he does anything like that, I, I think it, it, it gets put under a microscope that other people don't get looked at that way. And I understand why it happens, 30 interceptions. He's trying to, he's trying to change the, the, the narrative around him, and, and that's going to take some time. But he, he definitely is looked at a little bit harder than other people. And going back to the earlier point about the, the weapons and, and what he's working with, I mean, the degree of difficulty for him is, is, is high. I mean, he's, he's throwing, and I, you know, I think it's fair to say probably the, the – worst receiver core in the NFL. I, I don't know who else w- would even compare. I mean, the situation's it, it's barren, and he's trying to find a way to succeed with it, and I think for the most part, he's, he's done a pretty good job. Uh, it's, it's just hard to, to gauge it at this point because you're, you're trying to adjust for what's out there, and there is an adjustment taking place, and you assume things will be different with other players. So I think we just got to see him with Mike Thomas and Traquan Smith on the field and find out what he actually is. Because at this point, I, I think it's still very much up in the air. Um, but as far as the decisions, I, I think you're seeing more good ones than bad ones. I mean, there's definitely a few to second guess. Uh, but overall, I, you know, I, the, the, the moments that, that people have picked apart, there's one throw against Carolina. Um, the, the the God's plan touchdown was a, that another was, one. You know, if, it, if it's just kind of two, <laughs> two, three moments in five games, I think you could go through anybody and find two or three moments. And shoot, you go to Patrick Mahomes, you're, you're going to find 15, 20. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be a lot of a lot of throws that you're going to question. And obviously his track record of production is much different than Jameis Winston's. But just as far as putting the ball at risk, I mean – they're Josh Allen, you know, he does it all the time too. I mean, it, it's just kind of, it's just, I, I don't think he's at that point where he was the last time he was a starter where there's 75 bad decisions in the season and 30 of them end up in interceptions. Right. 
I think there's probably a, a couple per game, which is probably pretty normal. And, you know, for the most part, he's, he's avoided game-changing mistakes. Nick Underhill, our guest. I mean, <clears throat> is there any point this year, this season potentially, where you think he's not on an on a uh, on addition, if that makes sense, right? It feels like this season, based on the contract, based on the nature of the position, based on Jameis's history, this season is an audition for him. I know some want to say he's the future, he's this, or he has. You know, everyone everyone has extreme takes with Jameis, but it. I, I don't, I mean, unless he just turns into an MVP suddenly, I don't see that happening. I feel like the staff wants to see him progress from the start of the season to the end, regardless of all of the ancillary parts and, and, and the lack of depth of receivers you've pointed out. They just want to see that progress. Do you think there could be a point in time this season where it's no longer an audition and Sean Payton just feels good about it? Or are you kind of in the ballpark of, you know what, this whole season is an audition. Look at it for what it is, and and the 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 team, no matter what, is going to, you know, kind of take a look around the league and 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 a look around what that position might be for them in the future following the twenty twenty one season. I mean, if he got on, on a run like he did against Green Bay for like the seven last seven or eight games of the season, and you saw that every week, I mean, at, at that point, yeah, I mean, I, I think he could probably change opinions, but I. Realistically, I think it's probably a situation where you go through the season and at the end you decide if, if he's worth a, another look or not and you bring him back and if you can add somebody else to try to compete, you, you probably try to do that. Because I, you know, I just don't think that, that type of run is going to come. But if it does, he makes the decision easy for you and you just move forward with him. But I think it's, it's probably more likely, given how this season has went and, and just the lack of weapons and everything, I, I don't think anybody, Saints or beyond, can really look at it right now and know 100% what Jameis is or feel 100% convinced that he's the starter if the rest of the season kind of looks like it does right now. So I think realistically, he plays well enough to get a second look. He comes back on another one-year contract, and you go through it again. And, you know, he gets a better shot at proving who he is, what he can be. I mean, if we're being – Totally fair here. He, he's the he's the biggest loser out of this situation with the injuries because he's kind of betting his football life on this team, this situation, yeah. and then it just feels like everything that could go wrong for him has gone wrong. Mike Thomas is out. Traquan Smith's out. The starting center's out. Your all-pro left tackle's out. Uh, your backup running back's out. The tight end they signed in the offseason's out. The guy they drafted a tight end hasn't progressed as, as hoped. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a lot of strikes against this offense, and it's just not a great situation for a guy that's trying to convince everybody that, hey, I'm still an NFL starter. The, the Tampa situation isn't who I am. I can make better decisions. And it just, it just hasn't been the support system that he needs to really make that case. Great points from Nick Underhill. He has been our guest. Final question for you, Nick. What is your expectation level for the last – you know, are the next three quarters of the season, the next 12 games, and has it changed at all since the start of the season, right? Has the first five games changed your opinion, shaped it a little differently in terms of your expectation level for this franchise? You know, I actually think they can be a little better than I, I thought they were going to be. I, I thought they'd be a, a 9-10 win team. I, I put the win total at the same point, but I'm a little bit more convinced and have a little more conviction in that belief to see how they've been able to win without players and 
there's a scenario where maybe they, you know, they, they, they win an extra game. I, I think they're a playoff team. I still think they're a playoff team. And, you know, come the playoffs, maybe you win a game. At some point, if you get everybody back, you get rolling. And anything can happen in there. Um, you know, I don't think they're, they're a title contender at this point. But I, I think they can get in the playoffs and win again. Great stuff from Nick Underhill. He has been our guest. Give him a follow on social media at Nick underscore Underhill. Go to neworleans.football on, online and check out his site there. You can subscribe if you want to get uh, some really good Saints content, deep dives. Nick, before I let you run, man, anything else you want to add about how folks can check you out or follow you or see some of your work? Uh, you covered it. And like you said earlier, it's just content that hopefully you can't find anywhere else. Neworleans.football. Support goes directly to us supporting the vision. Um, it's not some corporate thing. It's me and my wife running – Running out a little business because we like living in Louisiana, and this is what we have to do. So any support is greatly appreciated. No doubt about it. All the best, man. Appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk to you again in the future. Thanks for having me. You got it. All right, up next. Well, coming up later, we're going to talk some Major League Baseball, yesterday's championship series, what's in store for today as well. Chris Lano going to come on, Rage Cajun Analyst, going to talk some UL football with us as well. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show continues right after this. That's how we get it done Like, ladies and gents, attention Nas in the house With Beastie Boys, we can turn it out Perpetrators, we can point them out So if you got something on your mind, let it out